uh, you know, I, I think it, it adds a sort of richness and an extra layer to research, which is just uh, you know, enormously rewarding. You've been listening to David Weller, the Capri lead and director of the University of Edinburgh's Centre for Population Health Sciences, talk about international collaboration. Welcome to Cheers with Peers, a podcast from PC4 that helps early career researchers guide themselves through the jungle that is academia. I'm Sabelle Sayer, a PhD student at the University of Melbourne. In today's episode, you'll hear from Professor David Weller. He talks about international collaborations and early career researchers. Apologies for the sound quality. It was recorded at the conference and there may be some noise interference. So, David, thank you very much for joining us. We are at the PC4 Scientific Symposium today and you gave a fantastic plenary this morning highlighting some of the really interesting works that that has come out of the International Cancer Benchmarking Partnership, which is an enormous collaboration, lots of people around the world, lots of funders, and I really wanted to ask you about your, um, if you had any perhaps tips and tricks for early career researchers either thinking about trying to get involved in these sorts of big consortia and collaborations, or even those who have grand ideas of starting their own. Okay, so I, I suppose the first thing to say that uh, you don't necessarily do international collaboration just for the sake of it. Yes. It, uh, it, it, it needs to be, uh, you, you need to be sort of pursuing a line of interest uh, or line of research where, where that kind of collaboration will have a particular kind of benefit. So. I mean, you mentioned the the ICBP. The specific reason for the international collaboration there was that we wanted to compare, contrast cancer survival rates around the world, and that's led on to more research about comparing health systems and comparing diagnostic and care pathways, and and so forth. I'm a great fan of uh, of international collaboration. We're living in a increasingly global world, and the great thing about collaborative research is that it allows you to sort of bring in lots of differences of social and healthcare and research context to mm. a question. In terms of setting up uh, international collaboration, there's no one easy simple formula yep. for, uh, <laughs> for doing that. When I was progressing through my early stages, I was very fortunate to have a um, PhD fellowship which allowed me time to, uh, to, to work uh, abroad and I spent some time mm. in the UK. Back then I was interested in bowel cancer screening and I just found that experience so uh, so enormously valuable to see how cancer screening played out in, in a completely different context mm. uh, to Australia. So, you know, look at look at those sorts of uh, funding uh, possibilities and when you're thinking of a research question, ask yourself, well, would it be interesting to compare and contrast this uh, in, a, in a different context uh, abroad? And if the answer is to that, answer to that is yes, uh, then go out and, uh, and actively seek collaborators. They're, they're becoming easier to find yep. um, through Twitter and Facebook <laughs> and uh, all, uh, uh, all these other sort of mechanisms we have these days. So perhaps yeah. thinking, starting small, finding maybe a little bit of seed funding to, to send yourself somewhere and approaching these people who are doing similar work in other places? Yes. I mean, one of my other hats is as an international dean at the University of, of Edinburgh, and uh, we have a number of partnership agreements with universities uh, in, uh, in Australia and, and in the UK, and our university itself pitches in a bit of money for uh, just seeding grants, 
and junior researchers are, are really strongly encouraged to apply for that, those sorts of funds. Lots of Australian universities do that as well. Now often that will just be enough to uh, perhaps have a, a meeting with some like-minded researchers abroad or set up a, a joint seminar with, a, uh, with an institution from abroad. Mm-hmm. So, Start small. Don't don't expect to be able to set up a big, you know, multi-centre randomised controlled <laughs> trial with twenty-five thousand patients uh, straight straight up. But uh, you know, I think it, it adds a sort of richness and a, a extra layer to research, which is just uh, you know enormously rewarding. So you talked a bit about the fact that you're in Edinburgh now. Yep. Uh, and obviously you are from Australia originally. So this is something that I was just having a chat with some other ECRs over lunch and, and they wanted me to ask you about the role of moving to other countries and whether you think that really it's something that's necessary to really make it in academia to kind of move around and, and maybe you can tell us about how and why you ended up uh, in Edinburgh. <laughs> I suppose the first thing to say is that uh, as, as an Australian, I moved to the UK, but, uh, but I certainly don't think that you have to do that yes. <laughs> uh, to, uh, to have a successful career in, in academia. That's just, it's how things ended up. For, uh, for me, my original intention was to go there for a five-year adventure at, at Edinburgh. It was a city that I'd been to several times and, and I, I loved the university and I loved the city. And in my own case, I just kind of got stuck. The yeah. kids got into nice schools and, and my wife and I were having a, a great career and great, a great life, so we decided to, to, to stay on there. I think that it's great to have an international experience, mm-hmm. but why not use that experience and come back to Australia because, you know, there's, uh, there's a fantastic, there are fantastic universities here and there's a, a fantastic research community and, and great, great research opportunities. Don't, don't get put off by... Fact that people sometimes say, "Oh, we know that there's cutbacks in, mm. in funding. There's, you know, research has been neglected. There's, there's always opportunities if you yes. go out looking for them." And I wholeheartedly agree that uh, there's a <laughs> lot of great research in universities right here in Australia. We ask all of our guests, David, yeah. uh, if they're listening to an interesting podcast that they want to recommend. Uh, at the moment, I'm uh, listening to a podcast by e- Ian Rankin. He's an mm. uh, author from, from Edinburgh who's mm-hmm. written the Rebus Detective uh, novels. Oh, so, uh, right. And just reading some extracts from his book. So um, that's, uh, uh, that's interesting. Ah, I'll uh, check that but, one out. Uh, yeah, great, a great thing to do on a, on a long flight is listen to a, <laughs> listen to a podcast. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're great, a great way of disseminating information, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks very much for joining us. Yes. That was Professor David Weller. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will feature Dr Rebecca Bergen, who will discuss observing the NHMRC funding panel discussions. Thank you for listening to Cheers with Peers, produced by PC4. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter, where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au. Thank you.